my wife and I have got to come here and be a part and hopefully minister to one another. And it's just been a real blessing for us. And uh, we just want to thank you very much. So and we still plan on being in and out, depending on what our demands are for the work the Lord's called us to do. But y'all are just wonderful, lovely people. We love you and we just thank you. And I'm so excited about what Kathy was saying. It's almost like, how do I follow that? <laughs> it was good. I like that. You know, sometimes in church we're taught to be stoic, especially the older traditions. But when you get filled with the joy of the Lord, those hands are going to go up and you're going to give God praise. Amen. So that's a good thing. And I love what Michaela said about us being light. We are called to be light. And... Uh, I don't know. I, I know I've shared many times already about Jesus' revolution. I know the movie pretty soon's not going to be available. Has anybody seen it? We've had a few. Was it worth it? Yes. All right. Did you know, I, I just want to share a couple of things. There's, it, there's document, it's being documented now that at some of the movie theaters, after the movie play, plays, people are breaking out in praise and worship. Can you imagine? Then I come to find out there's a lot of miracles that happen on the set. One of the things I found interesting is in the movie they baptize in what they call the Pirate's Cove right in the ocean, right? That truly, really happened. But during the filming of the movie, there was people working the movie that gave their life to Christ. And the guy that played Jonathan, uh, that plays Christ in The Chosen, that plays Lonnie Frisbee, his, his name's Jonathan... Uh, Rumi, I may be say, saying that around around me, and Greg Laurie, who the movie's partly about, they actually baptized for real people during that movie in the water. Amen, huh? And now the movie's grossed over 42 million. Hollywood said that it would be lucky to gross six or seven million, but God's in control. Amen. And then we see revival. And it's no coincidence that this movie's come out as revival is breaking out. Revival is hitting everywhere across this country and around the world. Did you know seven members of Congress recently hosted in the, in the Capitol Rotunda a time of prayer, worship, and praise to God and uh, seeking God's heart. And that's starting to spread now to other capitals of other states. So this is not just revival. This is an awakening this is a movement that has begun. And do you want to see revival in this church? Amen. Yes? Well, I have to tell you, it starts with you. Amen. You have to confess and repent of anything that's not of God. Truly pour your heart out and seek his presence, and it will show up, and revival will begin. So I just pray that that be the case. While we stand, we're going to read Psalms 19, 1 through 14. Feel free to join me if you like. But really just think about the words of the word of God. It says the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and the words to all the world. You know, no one will be able to stand before God and say that they didn't know that God didn't exist. Creation declares him. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, 
reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for the blessing to be here and to worship you, to declare you, to exalt you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you bless each one here. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Come, touch us all to receive what you have for us. And we give you all the glory and all the praise. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So I titled today's message, You Have to Let Go to Enter the Kingdom. Here a while back, my wife, she shared with me a little saying that resonated. She said, life is 10% of what happens to you, and 90% of life is how you deal with it. Our attitude, our actions, and our experiences, and how we deal with those experiences shapes us. They make us who we are. Are you experiencing the supernatural life that God desires for you? Because he is supernatural. Are you engaged in the kingdom of God? Now, I don't have time today to touch on all that the word of God has to say about his kingdom, but I hope to share a few things that will hopefully get you thinking and, and looking at your priorities when it comes to the kingdom of God. And remember, there's only one body of Christ and only one kingdom of heaven. But it's not by what we offer that we enter the kingdom of heaven, but it's what we accept. I want to help, uh, uh, I can't say the word, illustrate. Y'all ever get tongue-tied? I just did. Anyway, I want to illustrate with a little story. There was a, a doctor by the name of Eliezer Gonzalez. He was sailing on a catamaran when a gust of wind tipped him right into the water, and the mask, which had not been properly secured, came off. So Dr. Gonzalez, he desperately tried to hold on to it, but every time a wave came, it would put him under. He eventually came to the realization that he had to let go of that mask so that he wouldn't drown. So he let go. He lost that expensive mask to the boat, but by him letting go, it saved his life. You know, none of us will enter the kingdom of heaven with anything in our hands. When the Bible shows us a picture of people who have been saved in heaven, they've not, they're not holding anything except what Jesus has given them as a free gift. And that's really kind of a shocking scandal of grace. Too many of us spend our lives trying to hold on to the things that actually bring us death. Spiritual death is the worst. You know, I, I, I kind of think about 
I think it was in India I saw where they sometimes trap a monkey, right? Have you, you probably heard the story. They get a jar, they put food in it, the monkey puts his hand in it, and they open it's just big enough to get his hand in, but once he grabs the food, he can't get his hand out. He has to let go, but he won't let go. So he ends up getting captured. We have to let go. Again, it's not by what we offer that we enter the kingdom of heaven, but what we accept. We must let go in order to receive. And the greatest struggle that we may have as Christians in our lives will be to recognize that when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then the work for our salvation is finished. Our peace and joy depend on this. Then it's no longer about our salvation, but it's about God's purposes and his will for our lives and his kingdom. We've talked about that, right? We have to let go of anything that hinders our pressing in to the things of God and his kingdom. In Matthew chapter 19, starting verse 28, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his throne of glory, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive many times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. See, we have to give up everything. Everything we have is from the Lord anyway. So why do we try to hold on and make that our priority? We have to let it go. Philippians 3, Paul says, starting verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I would gain Christ and become one with him. What do you need to discard in life? What are you holding on to that hinders you from pursuing the kingdom of God? Paul goes on to say, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. We don't think about we want to suffer with Christ. But we all want to experience the resurrection, right? Amen? Paul goes on to say in verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to present possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Are you dwelling in the past today? We have to let go of the past. Don't let the past hinder you from what God's calling for you. Paul says in verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. See, we all have to press forward. And when we press forward, we have to realize that we become strong when we're weak because we have that fear to press forward. But again, when I'm weak, he makes me strong. When we go through, 
We'll go through hardships, but that's the time to let our light shine and bring God praise. Again, it's about God's power, not ours, his kingdom. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, starting verse 7, Paul wrote, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. We've talked about pride. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For I am weak, then I am made strong. Are you and I willing to do the same? Do we take pleasure in the hardships and the troubles? It's kind of hard, right? But again, God never promised that it would be easy, although he does say, I will take every, every burden you have. So he'll give you peace in the midst of all this as you press in. And the enemy, he won't like it when you press into the kingdom work. He'll try his best to distract you, discourage you, whatever he can do. But if you'll stand strong and firm, you'll not only get through it to the other side, you'll be filled with so much more joy. You know, we talked a little bit about the Jesus Revolution, and there's Lonnie Frisbee is the person that plays the hippie, uh, or, or it was the hippie that moved with such power. And, you know, it, the movie doesn't talk about much of his backstory of his life, but he was abused by his father. He was abused by his stepfather. He uh, uh, was sexually abused by some, some family member. And, uh, and it, so he had some difficulty. He was on drugs out in the desert, and he's crying out to God, if you will, show me. And then he had a remarkable experience. And he went on to have an amazing, anointed uh, life serving God. And so he was actually helped start several movements. He worked with a guy named John Wimber who started uh, a, something called the Vineyard Movement in the early 80s. And it was uh, the Vineyard Church. There's one in, uh, on the green up in uh, New Haven. But anyway, he had a saying that he, that he went by. It says, everyone gets to play. Because he was strongly suspicious of professionalization of ministry, and he wanted ordinary people to feel equipped to participate in God's kingdom. Too many churches want to take the pastor and the leaders and give it all to them, and they'll just come on Sunday, and that's all they want. But that's not what God intended. I'm up here to help equip you so you can go out and be that light, right, and, and touch the dark world. That's what we're all called to do. So John Wimmer was always very open to a new, uh, what new thing God might be doing. And this led to his openness to the work of the Holy Spirit that was one of his great legacies. Now John was a very talented musician and he was a producer and he played many instruments at Studio Quality. Before he came to faith in Christ, he actually made his living, full-time living that way. And one of his accomplishments was that he was actually the founding and producer of the Righteous Brothers. It was, that was at the top of his career. But a profound, profound conversion experience is documented in his testimony, I'm a fool for Christ. 
led him to step away from his musical career and pursue his relationship with Jesus. He let go of everything the world told him that he had to have. John became convinced of God's healing power and spent months encouraging his church to pray for the sick. Now they prayed for hundreds of people who never got healed. But they still pressed on. They pressed into God. And eventually God began to use John and other members of the Anaheim Vineyard to supernaturally heal people. See, God does the healing, but he uses us. We're a vessel to be used by him to go do that. Why else would he tell us to go pray for the sick? Right? John traveled around the world teaching and demonstrating God's healing power. Fact is, I, I think I've shared with you, I'm part of a group called Truth Alive that we started uh, a few years ago. We did two days in Bushnell Park evangelistic outreach. But one of the guys on our team, his name's Jeff, Jeff Woods, he actually got saved in the Jesus movement in Southern California. He was baptized in Pirate's Cove that shows on the movie. Now, he came along around 1975. But Jeff was, by trade, did construction in a building. Uh, he actually fell and broke his back. He was in a body cast. And they took him to John's home. He met John. And John said, let me pray for you. And he said, God's not going to heal you right now, but the Lord, the Holy Spirit's telling me he's going to heal you, but it's going to be a process over, you know, several days, weeks. And sure enough, to this day, Jeff is totally healed from that. But from a theological standpoint, Wimber is best known for applying George Ladd's theology of the kingdom of God to healing ministry. Now, I'm sure you've probably not heard of him, but that's okay. Ladd developed the idea that the kingdom of God is a reality that is both present in our midst, but not completely present. In other words, it has this already component and a not yet component. We experience some of the goodness and power of God in the present, but we also wait for the day when God establishes his kingdom fully. And in the application to healing, Wilbur saw this, you can help explain why we might sometimes see God heal people, but we don't see all people healed all the time. But John saw the kingdom of God. Matthew 6 in verse 31, our Lord tells us, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Key verse 33, But first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The world, the devil, they want you to worry all the time. That way you can be distracted from seeking the kingdom of God. That way your focus will be off. But you know, in the context, if you look at Jesus' message of, of the kingdom on his Sermon on the Mount, he establishes the priority that encompasses all Christian values and objectives. Seek his kingdom first. Do we seek his kingdom first? If you look at the model of prayer that Jesus gave us, right, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, right? Or yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
If we really understand this prayer, it'll help us realize the intended goal of all prayer, that the Lordship of Jesus would be seen in all circumstances of life. As the kingdom of God confronts sin, forgiveness is given, and change comes to the nature that had only known how to sin. When his rule collides with disease, people are healed. When his kingdom runs into the demonized, they're set free. When the kingdom's message provides salvation, it provides salvation for the whole person, spirit, soul, and body. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when we looked, at, we read just a second ago, verse 33 said, And all these things shall be added to you. It meant that if my priorities were correct, God would make sure I got what I needed. After understanding the model prayer better, I think he was saying that if we seek his kingdom first, we'll find his kingdom comes fully equipped. It brings with it his answer to our material and relational needs and our fight against evil. Maybe this will help illustrate. Suppose I owned a very successful, I mean really successful restaurant, and everybody here wanted to purchase a franchise, get a right to it. And by purchasing the franchise of my restaurant, you would be investing your time, your money to obtain its name and all that goes with it. The menus, the design, the management program, the quality of training for the workers. You'd be required, of course, to follow the prescribed standards established at the flagship restaurant. The color scheme would be the same as you would, as would be the types of furnishings and menu items. The policy manual for the employees would all be the same as well as the management style. In essence, I would superimpose the main restaurant over each new location until all the locations looked alike. When we pray for his kingdom come, we're asking God to superimpose the rules, order, and benefits of his world over this one until it looks like his. And that's what happens when the sick are healed or, again, the demonic are set free. His world collides with the world of darkness, and his world always wins. Our battle is always a battle for dominion. There's always going to be a conflict of the kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. But again, we know who wins. In Luke 18, starting verse 18, it says, Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your mother and your father. And the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Of course, when the rich man heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. By the way, when you hear that, some people think of a needle like sewing needle. But in, in, in those ancient times, they would have a little, what they called uh, a needle, 
for a gate when the gate was closed and it was very small for people to go through to enter the city after dark. And that's actually what it's referring to because a camel would not fit through that. Anyway, a little, little trivia for you. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? He replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter said, we've left our homes to follow you. And verse 29, very key, Jesus replied, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. See, this man's wealth made his life comfortable and gave him power and prestige. By telling him to sell everything he owned, Jesus was touching the very basis of his security and identity. The man didn't understand that if he would even be more secure if he followed Jesus than he was with his possessions and wealth. Now, Jesus doesn't ask all believers to sell everything they have, although he may for some. He does ask us all, though, however, to get rid of anything that has become more important in life than God. Whatever possessions or activities takes first place in your life, it would be better for you to get rid of them. Remember, Jesus said his love is first. Again, it's not by what we offer that we enter the kingdom of heaven, but by what we accept. What is the hardest thing for you to let go of? What is that something that is standing between you and a closer walk with Jesus? And if you let go of it, how would your life be different? What if you began to focus on the God's kingdom? Think about that. Pray over it. Write it down on a piece of paper. Ask God to help you let go. Then you can tear up the piece of paper and throw it away. In Philippians 3.20 it says, But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. So, as you and I that are believers, as we, as we are citizens of heaven, means that, that we actually have to be an ambassador in this one, right? We live in one world while we represent another. We each have the privilege of representing heaven in this world so that we might bring a manifestation of heaven to this world that is lost and dying. It would be good to remember this as we start each day in our life. As ambassadors of the kingdom, we should be taking regions and territories for the kingdom of God. We see that's happening with the revival. The young people that are coming to Christ will have more boldness than you can ever imagine. They're very sincere with what they believe. Much of our time as Christians is spent within the four walls of like this church. And while church services, conferences, Bible studies are necessary for our spiritual growth, we need to constantly remind ourselves that our privilege as believers is to extend the jurisdiction of the kingdom of God beyond these church walls. We're called to reign as kings in this life. Did you know that? In Revelation 5, verse 9, says, and they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seal and open it, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Of course, they're talking about Jesus, the Messiah. 
But verse 10 says, And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on earth. And some manuscripts actually says they are reigning on earth. Who's the them? The them is us, the believers. We're called to be kingdom of priests for our God. I'll let the worship team come up now as I close out. But, but God's power must be demonstrated publicly. You and I are ambassadors of the kingdom, image bearers of God, and agents of assignment and purpose. The world needs to see God's chil children, that's us, displaying unity, love, and power, God's power, as we're reigning as his kings and priests. We must be willing to move out of our comfort zone and let go of whatever's holding us back and engage in the kingdom of God. For that's what's going to count for all eternity. The things we do on this earth that are not for the kingdom, they're just going to fade away. Again, Jesus said, store up treasure in heaven. It's all about what we do for him. And it all has to be done in love. And don't let the enemy get in your head and tell you you're unworthy or that God wouldn't use you because that's a lie. God wants to use all of us that are willing to be used. Are you willing? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the privilege and opportunity to be your ambassador for your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would touch each one here that as they go forth out of the four walls of this church, that they would just be light bearers and that they would be willing to share in love your goodness and your mercy. That some will just see it by their actions. As we read earlier, creation, they don't even have to say a word. But maybe there'll be some that will see you and just say, I don't understand how you act the way you act, which will be an opportunity for them to share all the good news of you, Lord. We just praise you and thank you again. I thank you for these wonderful people. I thank you for those listening online. I just ask for you, your blessing on all of them. And we give you the glory. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. You are worthy, O oh Lord. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. to me.
life, the ups and downs. Joy comes from a consistent and focused relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. I'm about to close out here. I'm going to turn it back over to Kathy, and she's going to... I don't know what she's going to do. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Aren't you? Do you know anyone who's living this level of life? Joy unspeakable. Full of joy. Do you know anyone? How do we live a focused life in Christ? Verse 14, and then I'm, I think I'm done. Kathy, is that okay? <laughs> John 15, verse 14. Watch this. You are my friends if you do what I command. God expects our obedience. He expects it. He doesn't just want us to obey. He demands that we obey. Wow. What kind of life are you living? It is a, is a life that counts. Is Jesus Christ the focus of your life? That means that everything you do centers around him. Everything. I'll close with this one sentence. Christianity, a Christian, disciple, follower of Jesus, is not a part-time life, a sometime life. It is not. It's an all-time life. It's a surrendered life. Giving up of self. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, that is the cry of our hearts this morning. Your people calling. In repentance, forgive us of our self-righteousness, of our pride, of our disobedience, a selfish life that, Lord, we come before you this morning with one desire upon our hearts, and that's living a focused life in you and through you. Lord, I pray, and this is a bold prayer, whatever it takes, Lord, in the life of your people, professing Christians, your church, whatever it takes to bring us to our knees. and live 
a life centered on you. Put it before us, Lord. Put it before us. And in making that statement, I see one person. I see Jesus Christ. And then I see the power of the Holy Spirit working upon those that are within the sound of these words, this prayer, whether it be in this building or online. Specifically, people online. You're welcome in the house of the Lord. Don't make him a life of convenience. God is calling us to be one in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves within those that have been listening, those that have ears to hear. And the Holy Spirit moves them before your throne, on their knees, in repentance. and a desire to abide, to remain in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please stand, respond to how God has spoken to you this morning, whether you be here physically or you're visiting us online. There are people online that will respond to you in prayer, information giving. Whatever it may, you may need in your life this morning, you can find it in Christ Jesus. Kathy?